Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10, you'll find it on page 7 in your pew Bible. Uh, Genesis 10, it's a, a chapter of uh, pretty much just a, a genealogy for the most part. Uh, we're not going to deal with name by name, nation by nation, fear not. Um, we, we won't solve the chapter that way. Um, in fact, even in just a second as we, as we read the passage, we won't read the entire chapter, uh, but we'll read a good chunk of it. So let me ask uh, to, that you would stand as we read God's Word together. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Uh, down in verse 6, the sons of Ham, <clears throat> Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Eric, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kazlahim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Down to verse 21. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days... The earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Sheleph, Hazamarveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Let's pray together. Now we pray, O Holy Spirit, as we come to that which you have inspired, preserved, kept for us, you promise that your word, that all of Scripture has been breathed out by God and is profitable to us, that we might be equipped for every good work. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would equip us even now. Through Christ we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. You may have noticed that this chapter is not 
exactly like normal genealogies. Normally you read a genealogy and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. You get that in Matthew 1, sort of a typical genealogy where you know, father and son and his son and his son and his son and, and on down the line. This chapter is a little bit different. In fact, sometimes you have names of people, sometimes you have names of countries, sometimes you have names of, of people groups and clans in various shapes and sizes, and sometimes it traces several generations and sometimes it doesn't go any at all. Sometimes it may go two, three, four generations, and other times it just mentions one. Uh, this chapter really is more like one of those um, where are they now stories you may find on VH1 or the Biography Channel. I know there was a time when VH1 kind of did this series of where are they now and they kind of looked at all these 80s bands and, and said right, what's happened to the 80s bands, what are they doing today? They sort of make that leap, that jump from they were famous 80s bands, then what are they doing now? Or the Biography Channel may trace you know, child movie stars or child TV stars and then where are they now? You, you, for some reason, Danny Bonaducci and Tanya Harding are always the names that come to mind when you think of these kinds of shows on TV. That's in essence what chapter 10 is for us, but that in, in essence is what chapter 10 is for Moses and his initial audience. He's basically making one quick transition, and, and you'll notice names of countries that are familiar to us because we find them later in Scripture. Assyria, the Philistines, Egypt, Canaan, and others. Sodom, Gomorrah. In many ways, Moses is sort of setting a stage for what's to come throughout the rest of Genesis. In a lot of ways, this chapter serves as a bridge from Noah to Abraham. He's, he's writing a, a quick bridge from Noah and his three sons down to Abraham. And, and he's laying out for us, here are all the people that have come from Noah and his children. It, it would be easy in our own private reading, I think, to skip this chapter. It would be really tempting in your own private reading. Let's say you've set out January 1st, as so many Christians do, to read through the Bible in a year. And somewhere around January 3rd, you've realized you've already messed up. But if, if let's say you've managed to keep up at least to chapter 10, you'll get to chapter 10 and you're really inclined to go, yeah, I just skip that. Because Tower of Babel, I know. Abraham, I know. I don't know what to do with this. So it's, it's really tempting to... Skip it. You're reminded, even as we prayed uh, just a few minutes ago, of, of Paul's words to Timothy. All of Scripture has been breathed out by God. You're reminded of Deuteronomy 29, 29, that verse that we, the first half of which we know really well. The secret things belong to God. We, we're, we're quick to run to that part. Never mind that the second part says, well, the things revealed, they're revealed for us to know and to, to conform us into the image of of Christ for our good. This passage, as we read through these 70 names, sons, descendants, sons and grandsons, great-grandsons in some cases, many of them 
we read names that stand opposed to Israel, that stand opposed to God's people, you know, you hear Nineveh and you're like, wait a minute, that's Jonah. I know about those people in Assyria. In fact, for that matter, I know Assyria is going to come and conquer Israel. Or you hear of Babel and you're like, wait, that's, is that Babylon? Because they're going to come and attack and destroy Judah at some point. You know, the Philistines and the constant war and battle... Over and over again, there are names of nations and people that, that are opposed to God and to His people. And so as, as Moses writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this bridge for us from Noah to Abraham. You know, one of the reasons I love golf so much has to do with uh, not so much the written laws of the game, but the unwritten rules of golf. It's a game of honor. It's a game of I'm calling a penalty on myself and nobody else can even see evidence of that. But that's okay because I know that that ball just moved and I have to call a penalty on myself. It's a game of let me defer to those who deserve the honor. It's a game of yielding, of humility, of giving to other people. One of the most common ways you see this play out is as the final pair of the tournament walks up the 18th hole. They get to the 18th green, and one of those guys is clearly the winner of the tournament. All he has to do is two putt, three putt, maybe five putt from where he is, and he's going to win. The other guy finishes the hole and gets out of the way. He does that to give the spotlight to the one who deserves it. He does that to say, that's the winner. He's the one that deserves the spotlight. So I'm just going to finish the hole and then step back and get out of the way and let him have the spotlight. That's the pattern that Moses uses to write this chapter. How many times have we, in reading the last several chapters of Genesis, run across the list of Noah's sons? Quick, in your mind right now, name them. You all just said in your head, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's the order they're almost always written. Right? That's not their birth order. We learned in the last chapter that Ham is the youngest. It's possible that Japheth is the oldest. It depends on how you read verse 21 here in chapter 10. Their birth order might actually be Japheth, Shem, Ham. That's not the way we read it. But that's also not the way Moses wrote. Did you see this? He covers Japheth first. Then he covers Ham. He gets them out of the way so that Shem can have the spotlight. He covers them in that order because it's Shem's line that will bring us Abraham. It's Shem's line that bring us, brings us the Semites, the Jewish people. It's Shem's line that brings us the promised seed of the woman. There's that echo. There's that theme that runs through Genesis. I hope your ears sort of recognize, wait a minute, as we, as we deal with Japheth first, as we, as we deal with Ham first, and finish with Shem, 
that is almost always the Bible writer's way of saying the last guy deserves the spotlight. We've seen this over and over again already. This is a theme that runs through the chapter. Um, you know this musically, by the way. You know, Mary Laws has been homeschooled in the last several years. Um, she has a, a couple of uh, Pandora stations that she's created to do to, while, that she listens to while she's doing work, lyricless, you know, wordless, usually orchestral music, and a lot of it's movie related. Harry Potter, Star Wars, it's those kinds of things. You always know when Darth Vader enters the room because you hear that theme playing in the song. You hear Darth Vader's music playing back there in the background somewhere. You're not watching the movie. You're just listening to the music. But, but in your head, instinctively, you know Darth Vader's on this, in this scene. How do you know? Because the music, his theme is there. One of the patterns, one of the themes we see throughout the book of Genesis. Moses deals with the non-chosen lines first and clears them out of the way so that the chosen line can have the spotlight. He's always looking for where's the seed of the woman? And where's the seed of the serpent? From whom is the promised Savior going to come? Well, it wasn't from Cain or Abel. It was from Seth. It's not from Japheth or Ham. It's from Shem. That's the pattern over and over again in Scripture. It's not from from Ishmael, it's from Isaac. It's not from Esau, it's from Jacob. It's not from any of these 11 brothers, it's through Judah. Over and over again, there's this constant recognition that there is a chosen line from whom we're still waiting for a Redeemer. We're still waiting for a Deliverer. We're still waiting for one who will deliver man from sin. The pattern of these genealogies in Genesis is to to clear out sort of the non-chosen line so that those from whom the Messiah will come will have the spotlight. Notice in verse 8, we even get a glimpse of the mindset of the day. Of all the people in the chapter, Nimrod gets the most ink. Nimrod gets the most press in Genesis 10. Verses 8 through 12, all about Nimrod and his accomplishments and what he's done. Notice he's called mighty, a mighty hunter, a mighty man. A mighty hunter before the Lord. In fact, three times in two verses, we're told he's a mighty man, a mighty hunter. He's praised and honored for his strength and power in battle and in hunting. He's that kind of man. That's his reputation. In fact, so... Well known was his reputation that it was a saying of the day like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. People would be compared to Nimrod because he was the the gold standard of mighty hunters. 
He was the gold standard of, at least humanly speaking, the things we admire in warrior men. Just think about it. You know, there was a, a time when maybe fatheads aren't all the rage anymore. There was a time when, when fatheads were kind of a big deal. There's this, they're just glorified posters that stick on your wall, and most of them are of athletes of some sport or another. You could ask yourself, well, who are the posters I would put on my wall and why? Who are the fatheads I would put on my wall and why would I do that? Just the other day, ESPN released its World Fame 100. The top 100 famous athletes in the world. They used really important metrics like how many followers they have on Instagram, how many followers they have on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, endorsement money. So they're, they're the metrics. They, they use those things to tally up the most famous athletes in all the world, all based on how many people follow them on Instagram, how many, fo- how many people follow them on some social media or other. That's kind of a big deal today, isn't it? I mean, there's a sense in which even we as grown-ups, if we're into Twitter and Facebook and stuff all the time, you notice the likes. You notice the retweets. You notice those things. You wonder, am I really that popular? Am I really that famous? Those things matter to us. Well, in Nimrod's day, he was number one of the ESPN Fame World 100. By the way, that it's Cristiano Ronaldo's number one. In case you're wondering. Um, Nimrod was the World Fame 100 back in his day. Admired, though, for human reasons. Notice what he's known for. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord. Does... Before the Lord, does that mean he's does that mean he's serving God? Does that mean he's a Christian? Does that mean he's he's following God? I'm not sure that's the case. Here's why. His name means we will rebel. Names matter in scripture. And notice what else he's famous for. Did you pay attention to the rest of the verses? He has a kingdom. He's established No small kingdom, mind you. He's established a name for himself by conquering and defeating all kinds of people in all kinds of lands. The beginning of his kingdom was this little town called Babel. There's a tower they'll build there next chapter. That city's important for all the wrong reasons we'll see, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. But not only is he known for Babel, but he's also known for Assyria and Nineveh and and other great cities. He's admired as perhaps the first Napoleon, the first to go out and build and establish and, and conquer cities that he could rule and reign over that would be part of his kingdom. He's known for his military power. He's known for 
for military power and authority on the earth. What are the things you admire in people? Who are the posters you would put on your wall? And why? It's not wrong or bad to put posters of people on your wall. The question is, Cristiano Ronaldo is not world fame 100 because he loves Jesus. He's world fame 100, number one, because he loves Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's evidence, evident in, in, in so many of the things that he does. Is that the model we want to set up? Is that the one we want to emulate? Is that the kind of person we want to be like? There are men and women well worth our study. There are biographies well worth reading, but we want to emulate those people who put God's Word above everything else, who put Christ ahead of everything else. So in many ways, this passage serves as a warning and and even judgment to a certain extent. But it's also a picture of God's promises being fulfilled. Don't miss the fulfillment of a command given numerous times throughout Genesis being carried out right here in this chapter. Do you remember the command given to Adam and Eve? Twice, at least. Be fruitful, multiply, multiply greatly on the earth, rule the earth, and subdue it. For that matter, look with me just at Chapter 9 and verse 7. Actually, look at verse 1. Noah and his family have gotten off of the ark. The flood is over. We see in verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 7, it's repeated. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Chapter 10 shows us that God's command is being carried out. God's Word cannot be stopped. God's Word will come about. God's Word, God will carry out His plans and His purposes on the earth. Now, it just so happens that in this case, it took sin and disobedience to bring it about. Chapter 10 chronologically belongs after chapter 11. It's, it's chapter 11, it's the Tower of Babel that ye, le, leads to the events of chapter 10. But by rearranging the chapter, Moses calls attention. He connects chapter 10 not to God's judgment, but to the promise of God fulfilling His command and His word on the earth. In fact, as you read through this list, if you were to count the names, you would find that there are 70 people listed in this genealogy. 70 is a number uh, that, that means all, every, total. It's, it's a, uh, in Hebrew sort of practice, uh, it, it, it means the totality. It means all that there is. That's uh, 
part of the point you'll see seven and seventy, and then even, you know, can I forgive seven times? Well, seventy times, or seventy times seven. The, the point is, you're supposed to forgive a whole bunch. Well, here, the picture is that these seventy names represent all the entire earth. In fact, we're told as much at the end of the chapter. From these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Every human being on earth descends from Noah. That's part of what this chapter wants us to see, is that that God has not just accomplished His purposes, but that every human being comes from the same family. All of the people all over the earth belong to God, have come uh, from Noah. That's the, the totality of the earth. Has come from Noah and his family. You'll notice that means that all the people of the earth are from one family. It means that the attacks on London are not attacks on those people, but they're attacks on our family. They're attacks on distant cousins because we all descend from Noah and his three sons. Let me make two applications from this passage. Uh, The first is this. As you read through the list of nations, of clans, of people, of names in Genesis 10, where are they now? Where are they in 2017? Where are they right now? Okay, some of them actually still exist. Their descendants still exist. But think of the way that these... Nobody talks about Philistines in 2017. Nobody talks about Jebusites or Canaanites or Hivites in 2017. Nobody talks about so many of these people groups today. Why not? Nobody talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, who are both listed right here in this chapter. What happened to all of these cities, these nations, these kingdoms? Where are they? They're gone. They're they're not here anymore. They have fallen and been replaced by someone else. Where's the kingdom of God? It's as strong today as it was then. It's as powerful today as it was then. It's as present today as it was then. The kingdom of God cannot be stopped. It will not be defeated. It will not lose. It will not be replaced. The kingdoms of people come and go. But the kingdom of God stands forever. It cannot lose. It cannot be abolished. Believer, be comforted by this. You watch the news and you're convinced that worldviews in our country and bombs and guns in other countries are out dead set 
on destroying Christianity. This passage says they can't. This passage says there's nothing they can do. They may hurt us. They may kill you and me. But there's nothing they can do to the kingdom of God. Be comforted and encouraged in the face of opposition that God's kingdom cannot be abolished. A second application of sorts from this passage. Notice there are 70 nations that come from Noah and his sons. And for the most part, these nations are around Israel. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. And let me show you something. That Moses' audience, Moses' initial readers, hearers, would have understood. Exodus 1. Verse 5, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Did you notice that? The same number of nations around Israel that, for the most part, stand opposed to it, there are 70 sons of Jacob coming out of Egypt, heading to the Promised Land. God is at work building and growing and establishing His kingdom. He's preserved His people even in the face of opposition God's hand of providence is at work in this world, bringing about His plans and His purposes. Do you remember why Abraham was chosen? Do you remember what Abraham was supposed to be? He was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. He was, through him, all the, the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's not a genealogical statement. It's a statement of faith. The beauty is, the picture is, the reminder in all of this is that you and I, as we take the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as we obey the Great Commission, as we take the name of Christ to the lost anywhere and everywhere throughout Athens and Limestone County and around the globe, we're bringing that blessing to the nations. We're bringing the promise of hope and deliverance to the nations. And it reminds us all over again that when Christ returns and fully and finally establishes His kingdom perfectly, without sin, there will be people there, as we read just a few minutes ago. They're not all going to look like you and me. 
They're not all going to talk like you and me. There'll be people from every tongue and tribe and nation. This passage reminds us not just that God is at work, not just that His kingdom will stand and cannot be abolished, but that we are to be a blessing to them as we take the gospel of Christ everywhere we go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the message of hope found in Christ and in Christ alone. Uh, We thank You for the hope and expectation that we will be gathered around the marriage supper of the Lamb and we will be sitting beside people from every continent, uh, people from every clan, people from every tribe, uh, people from every language, people who speak languages we've never even heard of. Father, we pray that You would give us glimpses of that even in our own community. That You would give us glimpses of the Gospel going forth and bringing people that are just not like us in whatever way that may be to faith and trust in Christ. Use us even to that end. Through Christ we ask it. Amen.